it's Greg Grunberg, uh, Snap Wexley from Heroes, and Commander Finnegan of Yorktown from a uh, little thing called Star Trek. And you are kneeling before the pod. Kneel Before Blog presents... Kneel Before Pod. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Kneel Before Pod. I'm your host Craig McGenzie, and our time has come to talk about Star Wars. We enter this world by talking about the 2015 smash hit, The Force Awakens. Does it entirely hold up and deserve all the love it gets? Find out what we think. Also, thanks to Greg Grunberg for his endorsement, where he gets his hero's character name wrong. But he does use the character he played in this film, so it's very appropriate. Enjoy our discussion that really does head to a galaxy far, far away. Uh, with me, I have Angus. Hello. Natalie. <laughs> Present. This has become a register, yes. Euler. Yeah. Hello. And Chris. Hello. So before we start, light side or dark side? Light. Okay. Anybody else? Uh, light side. <laughs> well, I'm going to be controversial and go dark side. Now there can only be one more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pressure's on, Chris. Oh, I'm going to go light side as well. You know, right. just as. Oh, thanks. Oh, man. Everyone against me. Thanks for asking me. Uh, what are you, Natalie? I think that I'd be a bad person, but then I'd become a good person, but then ultimately betray everyone. <laughs> I'm going to go dark side. Go <laughs> back on yourself again. What? Unredeemed. You're going to be unredeemed. Oh. I don't know. I just think that like they're hotter if they're bad. <laughs> hey, okay. So... The internet seems to think that Star Wars is kind of a big deal. Uh, I don't know if we all agree with that or not, so I guess we'll go around the table, this virtual table, and um, <laughs> talk about what Star Wars means to all of us. Angus, do you want to kick us off? Uh, no, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, I will. Um, Star Wars. It's always been there. Like so many of these things we seem to be talking about on podcasts. <laughs> I can't remember living a life without Star Wars. Um, yeah. It's kind of ubiquitous, isn't it? And it's grown into this massive phenomenon where the pressure seems to be on now to kind of carry on the saga from what began as probably quite an indie sort of sci-fi adventure into now a massive marketing hulk. Yeah. So you're a fan then? Uh, I am. I am a fan. Cool. Uh, Aaron, what's your thoughts on Star Wars? I was wondering, is there actually a reasonable argument for it not being a big thing? Surely <laughs> surely everybody's going to say that it is. But um, yeah. if I had to pick the old Star Wars, Star Trek thing, I would actually choose Star Wars if I could only keep one. Because um, I, I do remember it from way back being a kid, my first introduction to proper adventure stories, I guess, really. Um, so so definitely a fan. Cool. Chris, do you want to go next? Yeah, definitely a fan of Star Wars. I mean, it, to me, it always sort of reminds me of uh, when my mum would go out on a Friday night, me and my sister would be left at home with Dad, and he'd end up uh, picking out one of the Star Wars DVDs or Indiana Jones or something like that to watch, so... Yeah, Star Wars was a big sort of childhood thing, and then obviously DVDs, you the... couldn't have been that young then. I don't know. Oh, no, no, like, no. Are you a child? <laughs> DVDs, <laughs> videos, all that would come out. Yeah. 
all my Star Wars early experiences on VHS, that dead format. <laughs> no, you're um, only old if it's on Betamax. <laughs> or Laserdisc. <laughs> Laserdisc, that's the one. <laughs> to me, Star Wars was something that was always on at Christmas. It was one of those films. You always watched at least one or two of them. Natalie, what's your connection to the Star Wars universe? Um, like, personally? Yeah. Uh, my dad's Darth Vader. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's quite a revelation. Yeah, I thought everyone knew about it. Um, so Imagine meeting him for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> it was a tough um, sell. Star Wars, I, I don't know, if I feel like you're being quite personal with that. It's a, it's a movie that I enjoy watching. Um... And uh, that's that's kind of almost it. You think of it as one movie? Um, yeah. Okay. Hmm. Fair enough. See, so you're... Damn it, I'm too suggestible. Like, <laughs> I was listening and I just said, yeah. So you're not a super fan like other people might be? I really enjoy watching it and I, like, totally love it. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's got to be a difference, though, I guess, then between what Natalie thinks of it and, and some of us who remember it from long ago because I'm probably that much older because I, I definitely had when I watched this film a feeling of coming home of a welcome past which I admit could easily have coloured my experience in a in a really positive way I just remember having the tassels so <laughs> early <laughs> yeah. for a tassels reference oh man start as we mean to go on yeah, but I those mean, were brilliant. They I came think in special box. I think it's so, I mean, like computer games and cartoons and movies and music, and it's just everywhere that, yeah, I, I agree with Aaron that when you just kind of dive back into that universe again, no matter how derivative it is, it just feels like going home. Yeah. Well, you guys are so deep a bit like Han so <laughs> gets back on the Falcon. I mean, that might be a spoiler. Uh, for me, Star Wars is, yeah, something that's been around forever. Uh, I've, I've seen it. I remember I used to love The Empire Strikes Back because for some reason I like when films have water in them. So I always liked seeing Luke <laughs> crash land. Right. Like, what's your word? For some reason, I would always ask my parents to to put the, the one on with the water when they knew it meant Empire Strikes Back. Did you ever watch that movie where those that couple get left in like the middle of the ocean? Love it. How about Kevin Costner's Waterworld? I think it's called like Deep Deep Blue or something like that. What's it called? I'll Google it right now. Yeah. Uh, When I was younger, that's what I liked. But that's that's one of my earliest Star Wars memories for some reason. Uh, I was always a more of a Star Trek guy. That doesn't mean I don't like Star Wars. You know, you can like one and also like the other. It's allowed. There is no war between. I never got like people compared them. Because they both have star in the title. That's about the only oh, thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never noticed that. Uh, so that's that's me. I've always loved Star Wars in some way. Played some of the video games. Uh, had the toys. And yeah, it sticks with you. That's a big difference, actually. I never, ever had any Star Trek toys. That was never oh, that a was thing too. when I was a kid. Yeah. Nobody even mentioned it, but the Star Wars toys were everywhere. 
I had Star Trek <laughs> micro machines. They were just the ships, but they were micro machines. I have no memory of them whatsoever, actually. And some action figures, too. It wasn't until Big Bang Theory uh, put on jokes about those toys that I even knew that Star Trek actually had figurines. Yeah, I don't think it's really known for them, but Star Wars, for whatever reason, is. So, yeah. It's well, it's, it's, isn't it really known because of the whole George Lucas deal and yeah. the, the thinking that that's how he made all his money? Yeah, merchandising. Yeah. Yep. That's how loads of people make money, though. That's how mm-hmm. loads of like movies and franchises and stuff. Yeah, but he kind of like, set the the model for it. Did like, he? Yeah. Like, yeah. Where Star Trek never made money. Huh? Star Trek never made money. So. <laughs> huh. mm, Craig, the name of the the name of the movie is Open Water. I will bear that in mind. Yeah, it's got water in it, so I think you'd enjoy it. <laughs> Julie not. Thank you. In fact, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yes. I mean, Star Wars was a lot of things to a lot of people at, at one point, and then we had the prequels, which are problematic for some. But then Disney bought them, and there was a lot of reaction to that. So how did everybody sort of react when, when Disney took them over? I, for one, was quite excited because... No more George Lucas making Star Wars films. You know, people with the ability to make films could make them instead. Um, Seems a little brutally harsh, given that he did make three films that people did like, but then three that people didn't. Some people. That means he's 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 still three for three in that case. And he didn't he didn't make two of those either. It was other directors that directed. Empire and Return of the Jedi. Well, it's his vision. He can do what he wants. Yeah, doesn't mean it's I, any good, though. I was quite happy because it meant we were going to see more Star Wars films. You know, I mean, I, that that's that was kind of my reaction to it, is, oh, I get to see Star Wars again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they hire J.J. Abrams and everyone's heart sinks. <laughs> Why? Said the Star Trek fan. <laughs> <laughs> Why did your heart sink? I don't know. I just think he's overrated, but that'll come up later, I suppose. I think I think people need to stop having ideas of what they think is going to happen and just wait to see how it turns out. I think he wants to do a good job, and yes. he was such a fanboy himself that it was probably almost an impossible task for him to take on because he felt like he wouldn't want to let everyone down uh, or you know, taking on the mantle of such a sort of cultural phenomenon. Yeah. Uh, so, Angus, what was your reaction to Disney buying it out? Seems like it was quite positive. Yeah, I've got a similar feeling, yeah, because knowing that they were going to just monetize it, uh, you know, even more so, and just pump out film after film, maybe isn't the best way of thinking about it. But then, yes, greedily, you do get, well, for the last two years, we'll have had a Star Wars film at Christmas time to go and see in the cinema. Ooh. Don't don't Google JJ Abrams and Chewie because there's like some weird picture of them sharing like a Twizzler. <laughs> okay. it, it looks really romantic. So, from your comments, Natalie, I think you you couldn't care less who was making it really. Or who owned um, it? Well, I did the whole like bandwagon thing, like when Disney bought the rights, I was about like what Disney why do they have to own everything 
But then when we saw the movie, um, I thought it was really, really good. Really enjoyed it. So I kind of couldn't really care less of who was making it because I enjoyed it. Okay. And Aaron, how was your thoughts when when it happened? I didn't really know what to think at all, actually, because if somebody had asked me uh, much earlier on, before even the fir- the films one, two, and three came out, what a Disney Star Wars film would have been like, I would have assumed it would have been something with a child star and something like Jar Jar Binks in it. <laughs> so when they didn't produce that and somebody else did, I, I didn't know what to think because that slot had already been filled. So I think I was pleasantly surprised when it turns out that what I thought Disney would do turned out to be something completely different. See, I always thought they would probably at least attempt to make a good job of it because they've done right by the Marvel franchise by and large since they purchased that. So it seems like they'd kind of leave things alone once they put people in place to make them. I mean, I don't know how much interference goes on in the background, but based on... Marvel stuff that suggests that there's maybe a lot but I think they probably have a, an agreed standard that they want to meet. Well they can certainly afford the quality of directors and writers and so on and that's, I, I don't want to challenge anything anybody really did there at a fundamental level. Yeah. So it brings us on to the, the first Disney entry, Force Awakens. Uh, what were people's initial thoughts without spoiling anything for this year-old film that everybody has seen according to the box office numbers? Loved it. I I loved seeing it, and even though you know the reaction after afterwards and kind of reflecting on what, on what I'd just seen and it seeming a, quite a bit rehashy, uh, I, as I've said previously, I just enjoyed being back there and hearing that lightsaber sound swishing around just puts you right back into it and was and even though yeah i could i could kind of put up with uh this entry because it was like the beginning of a whole new saga almost so it made me really look forward to what what was to come i thought it was great it's sort of pulling you back into the universe and you know i was i was just really excited to see a star wars film again um, I, I thought they did a really good job. There's, there's lots of sort of duplication to things that you've seen before, but I think when you watch it, it sort of brushes over you a little bit. You don't notice it as much. I I did watch it a second time and wondered if I would get that feeling of coming home again with it, and whether that had coloured me too much. But I don't think it did because I did enjoy it second time round, possibly just as much as the first. And I noticed that the the possibility of this repeat of old plots, I think it only really kicks off hard in the third, third, if you will. If you're watching from the start, actually, it it doesn't do that. It does give you a lot of new stuff. And I also thought that they managed to get in one of these things that I reckon is so difficult at the moment is to do a different strong female lead in in ray I, th- I think these days there's a stereotype and most people go with it and they may have walked the line a little bit with it but actually did a better job than a lot of stuff that's on tv so all in all i think i really enjoyed it for what it was not just not even just because it was a a bit of a homecoming which something mm. by the way the the um films one two and three never ever made me feel at no point did i think this is the star wars i remember 
of of my youth they were totally new something different and i always felt a bit at odds with them i wanted to like them but that was what it is it was a want with this one with the force awakens i did just like it right from the start and i didn't have to put any effort in and that was noticeably good cool yeah i mean i enjoyed it while i was watching it i think i thought the set pieces were really well done and i liked the characters for the most part and the duplication that chris mentioned kind of knocked me a bit i kind of couldn't really see past that and subsequent viewings have just kind of made it worse almost to the point where it's not something i'm in a hurry to revisit in the same way that i would with say the empire strikes back or even return of the jedi um certainly a new hope i'll revisit hundreds of times because it's just good fun but uh, i think this one is largely what star wars needed to be in order to come back after so long away and so much kind of uncertainty after the prequels so from that point of view it does exactly what it needs to but i guess i was just hoping for a bit more from it what um i absolutely loved it we we actually we landed in portugal the day that it opened here and um and the first thing that we did was go to a cinema where I'd already pre-booked my tickets because I knew that we wanted to go and see it like as soon as we possibly could. And um, and we both, like me and Gus, just absolutely loved it. We thought it was brilliant. And then when we came back, we went and saw it again in the cinema. And I was the same as Erin. I was a bit worried that um, maybe I'd just been, you know, caught up in the moment of uh, and the excitement of it all. But I really enjoyed it, and I'm really enjoying the new characters, and uh, and um, and I know it's a spoiler-free zone, but there was definitely a bit where I still hoped uh, the outcome would change, and it didn't, and I was heartbroken. Cool. But yeah, there we go. <laughs> so, on that note, should we move into the, the spoiler side of the force? Yes. I'd be tempted by the spoiler side of the force. Are you going to do like some sort of like lightsaber <laughs> noises when you edit this? Well, we'll see. <laughs> I'd recommend a TIE fighter. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, maybe I'll just throw all the noises in and see what sticks. Who knows? Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's my vision of the future's problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. No. No. It's not true. That's impossible. Now that we're in spoiler territory, uh, start off with the new characters. So... Ray is a good place to start since she is our our mouthpiece for the the new side of the universe. Uh, what did everybody think of Ray? A mouthpiece. Ah, uh, yeah. She, Why are you know, calling her a mouthpiece. She reacts to everything, talks about everything. It's yeah. you know, she's new to it all. So okay. Our new protagonist. How about yes. that? Yes. Yeah, it's a better word. Our new hope. Oh. <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, personally, I, I really liked her. I thought she was an interesting character. She kind of had that that naivety and vulnerability and so on that kind of reminded me of Luke Skywalker, but not without aping Luke Skywalker. Um, 
I don't agree with all the allegations that she's a Mary Sue who's just brilliant at everything. I think she's just clearly learned how to survive over the years and that translates to a lot of these skills. Um, Daisy Ridley was a good choice. She played her well. Um, it's a good character and feels new and different slightly. Mm-hmm. Yay. I really liked her. And for all those reasons, I think she was a great female lead. I think her interplay with Finn and her reactions to kind of him attempting to, to save her when really she was saving him was great. Um, she's already been in some pretty iconic settings, seeing her kind of exploring the the Star Destroyer and sitting out in the desert next to the downed mm-hmm. Atat Walker. You know, they're already kind of those images already feel like they're up there with the iconic images from the original trilogy to me. So I think that is, you know, I think the way that they've gone about kind of entwining her into the, into the saga feels like, you know, she feels like a really original and interesting part of it already. I think uh, Daisy Ridley did a fantastic job in the, in the role. Um, A really good I'm, I'm trying to think of the the right word to say, but yeah, I think as a protagonist was absolutely brilliant. It was a really good introduction and they've not really, by the end of the film, you don't know that much more about her than you knew at the beginning. So there's lots to explore there in future films, I think. You know, it's yeah. still still a well-rounded character. You still get her motivations and things, but there's 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 a lot still to find out there. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. Yeah, there's a lot of mystery around her and around a few of the things, really. I thought that they gave a really good balance between somebody who was capable. And I say that thing about creating a strong female lead, as it were. I think it's, it's, as I, say, I think it's really difficult. But they, they made somebody who was capable of surviving, who did have skills, but wasn't dominating, wasn't always destroying everybody in the fight, wasn't always in charge and didn't seem too weighted towards being better than anybody else or worse than anybody else. I think that's, it, it, they did actually manage to create a good set of new characters who did have strengths and flaws all at the same time. Um, and one thing that was most interesting was it, her age is quite a difficult one to place for me because she was very capable and very good at being by herself but then there are so many points in it where she is quite childlike, especially mm-hmm. that, that, that scene at the end where she's desperately wanting Luke to take his um, lightsaber back. I mean, she just looked like she's about to burst into tears. Yeah, um, yeah, like I said, she's definitely a bit naive. She doesn't really know how the galaxy works uh, and how things happened. or She's very kind of ignorant of history as well. No, she's not. No, she's not. You can't say she's ignorant of the history when uh, they're talking about, like, she knows what the ship is. She knows all the stories and the legends of, um, of like, Han Solo and stuff. Like, you can't say that she doesn't know anything at all. Like, she does. She's got, like, a great knowledge of all of it, which is why I think when she's in, she's uh, trying to, like, talk about the old stories and the legends and she's like, oh, my God, you're, like, Whoever, blah blah blah. Um, that's really exciting because that's what we're like. We're like, oh my god, Hansel is back, ah! And she's the same. She's like, oh my god, you're you're you, and we're like, yes. 
you can't say that she's that she's um she doesn't have that. She definitely does. She, I don't think I think naivety possibly is the the wrong word. She she certainly had an innocence about her in that she just wanted everything to work out right, and she was living through the myth. That's that is a certain innocence, but it's not it's not unknowing of what was going on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think ignorance might have been the wrong word, but it, there is you know there's a lot of gaps in her knowledge because she's been stuck on this backwater planet for so long. And, Why? Know, doesn't... She has like twelve parsecs instead of whatever it's supposed to be, or something. She says fourteen. She says fourteen. Again, <laughs> Angus gets there before I can. I'm, I'm willing to speed up. Yeah. Whenever so... when when they get to the bit um, where Han's talking about um, you know possibly offering her a job as second mate on the Falcon, I always think, oh, why can't? Why didn't that just happen? Why didn't she just join up with Han and Chewie and we get a movie where they go on adventures like that? Obviously, it can't happen that way. But whenever whenever I see it and I and that happens, I'm like, oh, I want to see that. I want to see that adventure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's that's kind of what I meant when I wanted something more from it. I mean, the characters were good enough, and uh, you know, I found the plot was a bit kind of familiar bit too familiar for me but we'll get on to that i suppose uh her partner in crime throughout much of the film is is finn finn is very kind of tortured because he's been trained to be a a killer but luckily he didn't get to kill anybody before he decided it wasn't for him because in his first mission he decides to desert Uh, which i found quite interesting just you know all these stormtroopers going about their day and he's looking on in horror even behind his mask yeah, like you never, you never see them like other than uh, with their uniforms on, and so yeah. you you think of them as being like these robots or like uh, not even human. And so I loved that when he takes like his um, like the helmet off and stuff, and you're like, oh, there's like a guy in there and stuff. You know, I was like, oh, I don't know, I'm just so excited. I was so excited when I saw saw that happening. And he doesn't look like some New Zealand guy. Uh, <laughs> He's not a Django Fett clone. No, definitely not. Yeah, I, I liked Finn, though. I thought, um, I liked that he was kind of a coward and constantly trying to get out of the way, which is reminiscent-ish of Han Solo in A New Hope, when, mm-hmm. he, um, you know, when he just wants to get away from everything and stay away from everything and you know only provide for himself. And Finn's a bit like that in the beginning, but um, he also has a kind of streak of goodness in him, which... He kind of applies to wanting to help Ray and and get um and get BB-8 to the rebellion, so that they, you know so that they can move on with stuff. But ultimately, he just wants out of there, which I found quite interesting. It's just the idea of this kind of cowardly character who's kind of caught up in these events while whilst being unable to get away from them. I like the humor that he brought to it as well. Whenever he was kind of getting overexcited by situations, I think it could have been, or maybe it seems a bit too on the nose or a bit too out of the setting, but I actually really liked how it worked and how he kind of played off against Ray and Han. Um, you know, didn't, I suppose, you know, there's, there's, there's been comedy throughout Star Wars and, and his, brand is slightly different but it, it seemed to fit him and it seemed to fit in quite well in the film I thought Yeah I liked how incredulous he would be all the time you know and Ray says I need to get back to Jakku and he says why does everybody want to go back to Jakku <laughs> he just can't understand that why nobody wants to run Or when he <laughs> when he tells Han that they'll just use the force and Han's like that's <laughs> not how the force works 
Yeah, interesting coming from Han, that statement as well. <laughs> yeah. I thought John Boyega did a, did a really good job sort of treading that comedy line because it can be really... It can be really treacherous sometimes if you end up with a character that's far too much of a comic relief uh, in a in a, a sci-fi like Star Wars. You know, it's it's very difficult because you can end up with this sort of Jar Jar Binks side of too much ridiculousness in it. But I, I think it it was written really really well and an, another sort of interesting character. Yeah. Jar Jar Binks gets such a hard rep, by the way. Deservedly so. But that's just who that's just the species the way. You think he's indicative of all Gungans? Yeah. Mm, that doesn't no. I think that's None of the Gungans. other Gungans are annoying as said. Well Boss Naz is quite annoying. Yeah. Also doesn't look like any of the other Gungans, but that's weird. But um yeah, no more Jar Jar. I well like everybody, I think I liked him for, for all those reasons, but I wondered as well if he was indicative of a certain extra grittiness in the plot that I, I wonder, I can't decide if it was in the old films or not. Because I, mean, I know that characters get killed in Star Wars and there is the, the, the gruesome death of being eaten by creatures. But is it somehow made child friendly by you not seeing too much gore? But then all of a sudden this character's introduction has a bloody hand on his helmet and i that that really stood out for me i really noticed that that seemed really quite brutal because then the, the character himself sees it mm. and is is quite shocked by oh my god this is the blood of my friend and that, that you know again that must be that's one of the things that will have kept him out of his 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 i don't know training as a as a stormtrooper so i i like the fact that that character was capable of well, the actor, if you was capable of, of of going back and forth, as Chris says, between this this horrible, brutal reality that was, but also still having that innocence of, do you know what? No, I'm the hero. I'm going to go and save this person, my friend, because I need to. And it it didn't ever feel out of place. Those two different sides of it. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting choice to have him uh, decide to go against the First Order on his very first mission, because. Uh, and I think they probably did that because they didn't want to have a hero character be, you know, be a, a murderous servant of the Empire or the First Order for, you know, a long time. Because it may have been a bit weird to have him. He's been it's on not, ten missions and killed a hundred people or something like that. But now he's, it's not unreasonable for the, that to be the point where you wake up, though, because everything up to that point is training. Yeah. You've been going through the motions. You've been doing guard duty. He says himself he pulled sanitation detail on one of his missions. You know, this is the first time he's been asked to do something that's actually combat. Oh, and by the way, the first order you get is execute all the villagers. You know, it's just if you were going to wake up, that seems like a perfectly reasonable time to do it. So they didn't mm. really have to push the boundaries of what was real to get that. I don't think. I oh, wondered I about that because you know when you're talking about the the blood down the mask and stuff like the helmet. I wondered if maybe like there was another one who had maybe woken up as well and didn't want to be a part of it. Cause I thought that doing that sort of, that sort of reaching out to another is very unlike stormtrooper behavior. So I thought it was very odd that, um, that, that even happened. Well, did you find that any parts of this, these, this film then to be, 
in some way slightly grittier, slightly more mature than any of the previous films. Because I'm wondering if I did. I think I did, but I'm not sure. I think so. And you, whenever you see stormtroopers getting blasted or smashed with Ewok rocks and things in the past, uh, you know, they're just, they may as well just be robots because they just sort of, you know, fly off or, you know, fall over and, and they're kind of just cannon fodder. But, you know, it's to see, him scream and we all laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just fly off speeders yeah. and things. But to see them, you know, to see them bleeding and uh, it, it's all kind of visceral. And, yeah, it makes them much more real yeah. as a, as, yeah, as characters and as people. Has to be they, also, um, they also what? hit a target now and again. <laughs> yeah, they've improved their aim. <laughs> I mean, I think it's just a lot darker when you when you think before when you were seeing, like you say, storm stormtroopers sort of getting knocked over and things. You're thinking, oh well, it's it's, it's a clone stormtrooper. But when you think this is a as as a child taken from a family that they'll never know and raised to be a stormtrooper. Yeah, you know, I, I I think it's more brutal when you think of it as that rather than oh, it was a clone that was always brought up to be a stormtrooper. It never had a family. It never, you know, it was grown in a lab to become mm-hmm. a stormtrooper with a terrible aim. Yeah, where when you think that you know the stormtroopers that you see now are brainwashed that have been brought up to to do that, but snatched from their family. Yeah, because that's that definitely seemed to be sort of George Lucas's approach to making it. Uh, family friendly would to be would be have these clones or have droid armies so that you know you could be wiping out whole armies of people but they were all robots or or clones so it wasn't as bad as seeing individuals bleeding on each other on the battlefield. Yeah, well, I mean it's never explicitly stated in the original trilogy, but all the kind of outside media like uh, says that you know stormtroopers are essentially just people that have enlisted in the same way that we might enlist in the army because yep. the empire is the legitimate government. And they're kind of troopers are kind of on guard duty and things like that. So they're not bad people as such. They're just following orders. <laughs> right. But that's what the, the people after the fact, though, as you've just said, have put in so they could add their own angle, make it more real, do what they wanted to it. But if yeah. I work just by the canon of the films, I don't get that. And I, I don't, again, I never want to think that I, I have to do my homework to realize what it no. actually is going on, you know? So in my mind that, that doesn't exist. They weren't mm. just these nice people. That's just all the, that's just all the, the people that have come after it and, and not necessarily even true. Yeah, and I think as a kid watching the original trilogy, the stormtroopers were scary, even though they couldn't hit a thing and they were banged their head on death star doors and things. They, uh, they were still scary. They had scary masks and they kind of, you know, they captured people and imprisoned people and were present when people were getting tortured and things. So I think they, they weren't quite as comical as, as we kind of think of them now. I think they were definitely um, presented more personable in this one, especially uh, when uh, Kylo Ren is having like a total meltdown in one scene and the stormtroopers come in the corner and then they're like, "Eh, nope. (laughs) <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. I thought, yeah, I think I think so much thought has gone into uh, the iconic stormtroopers and their place in the the new movies, and I think they're definitely headed in a much better direction. Really, see that uh, hu- see that humor as well that you just mentioned. That that mm-hmm. was that's very to me. That's very adult humor. That is the boss throwing a wobbly in the other room and you not wanting <laughs> to go in and be. <laughs> Your, your trouble which is and you said it as well with the with the other ones the 
think Jar Jar Binks, even though we said we'd never bring him up again, it's all <laughs> childish humor. You know, the, 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 even the robots, they say that they can be safely killed. The robot's humor was very was very comic and slapstick, yeah. too. Yeah. So they've, they've, it really feels like they've, they've tried to come home with this new film by making it something that adults would go to the cinema to watch, which was the original one. And so was it, I think, Angus, you said it was, was the, was the, the, the second three, was it um, Lucas aiming directly at the kids' market? Because if it was, that might have been the summary of the whole of the mistake of the first yeah, film. Yeah, I think it was that he, you know, he made the first, or he, his ideas for the first three were almost like he was making films for himself. And then by the time he had kids and made the next three, it was for them. And it was, you know, I, I suppose by the time he was putting Ewoks in, it was probably, yes. you know, uh, leaning more towards uh, selling toys than it was about making a sort of adventure film. Yeah, and that just blew up in the uh, prequels. Mm-hmm. All these random side characters so they could make action figures. Uh, do you think Finn's family will come into it at any point? Mm, no, they've probably been vaporised. <laughs> I don't know where it fits in. Yeah, yeah, I don't think they will. Maybe his spin-off film. He'll find, his, he'll find a new family with the, with the Resistance. Yeah, the resistance lives on. Exactly. I mean, hopefully not, because when you think of it, the galaxy is so large that the chances of <laughs> never meeting or ever doing, you know, I always it's the one thing about Star Wars that that sort of confuses me when you think about the size of the actual galaxy, and there's all these coincidences where, oh, that's my dad over there, and that's a, <laughs> you know, every every everyone is uh, only part of two families in the whole film. Yes. Yeah. Plus, it, it's it's it ends up being lazy as well with the plotting. It's how can we make it so this character has a difficult choice? I know we'll put their mother in danger, and it's like, oh my god, I've seen this again so many times. It's just boring. It's lazy. If, there, there are better there are better ways to to threaten the character. I think without relying on such tropes. And mm-hmm. how did this amazing coincidence happen? It's the will of the force. <laughs> that's it. Right. Yeah, um, I hope we. I don't think we necessarily need to see Finn's family, but it's something they could bring up in comics or or a spin-off film if they ever decided to do one. I suppose I don't think it has a place in the the actual saga as such because he's he is broadly speaking a bit of a side character, as in he's not a Skywalker, he's not connected to that, so he's kind of there, but not a huge part of it. Excuse me. Hey. Finn. You don't think he's part of it? No, he's part of it, but he's not like a significant part of it. Well, isn't he going to be, though? Because you've already compared him to having the Han Solo position, who also was not a Skywalker and so on. He seems Solo marries into the, the family, if you will. Why couldn't Finn do that? He's surely, therefore, a front character. Yeah, and Han was only going to be, you know, he was only uh, shipping... Uh, Luke and Obi-Wan to begin with and then never yeah. really intended to get caught up in the rebellion and then you know the rest is history yeah and Harrison Ford keep try- kept trying to get him killed and it wasn't <laughs> happening <laughs> can <laughs> I just say I didn't know that right and when I was watching this I didn't know what was about to happen and and uh, and I didn't enjoy it <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, out of the new characters, there's uh, our resident X-Wing pilot, Poe Dameron, who is 
my personal favourite of the new characters. I just think is he's... it because he's hot? <laughs> I think Oscar Isaac's a really good character, except when he's playing Apocalypse in X Men movies. Um, so he's he's a brilliant actor, and I think the character is just um, he's one of those he doesn't fit into any of the kind of molds that you would might have. So he doesn't really embody a Han Solo type or anything else. He's just kind of who he is, and and. He's yeah, he's just good fun, and he, he gets on well with Finn. The, their interactions are some of the best scenes in the film. Like the he's, bit where um, he's about to escape, and Finn says, "You know, I'm breaking you out because it's the right thing to do." And he immediately says, "You need a pilot, don't you?" And it's like, "Yeah, I need a pilot." Other than having a few gags, though, he doesn't really do anything, does he? He really is just a secondary character. Doesn't do much. In fact, he fills the wedge Antilles role. I think. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> He's a bit more to do than Wedge did, though. I didn't Not get that. Not so much. Yeah, he, he blows up. Um, he blows up Death Star three point That well, yeah, he Classic he pulls the trigger on the joystick. You know, that's all he does. He doesn't get a big uh, discussion. He doesn't get any real scene by himself where he interacts with other people. He he does what the plot needs him to do, and that's it. Yeah. I think he's a tiny role. Yeah, he doesn't he have a. Like, yeah, I, I, he made a big impression on me for whatever reason. I think he's going to end up a bit more of a double act with Finn in the yeah. future. I mean, you were asking what Finn's going to be doing later on. I think it's going to be him and Poe Dameron going off and doing something. You're going to have Ray and Chewbacca off doing something else. Yeah, there was um, an interview with uh, John Boyega where he asks if uh, Finn and Poe might be in a relationship in future films, and he says only in Oscar Isaac's imagination. So I don't know. I think people are to use the word shipping. You know, they're, they're shipping them. <laughs> well, they did share a tender embrace. They did. And exchange jackets. Yeah. Which is a big deal. Yeah, I, I liked Paul. Um, he was probably my favourite. Yeah, definitely my favourite of the new characters. And I can't fully explain why. <laughs> it must be because he's hot then. What about BB-8? <laughs> BB-8, yes. Um, yeah, I like, I like BB-8. He's got a new take on the droid personality. Yes. Here's the question of the hour then. Which is more cute, R2-D2 or BB-8? BB-8. R2. I wouldn't call, call R2-D2 cute. He's kind oh, of exactly. old. Oh, R2-D2 is so cute. There is the, the only time I have ever been in a cinema and the entire female audience went, Oh, to a robot is with R two D two. He definitely is cute. No, he's kind of an ass though, isn't he? Yeah, that's what makes him cute. No, <laughs> BB eight is cute. R two D two is funny, but BB eight is cute. I think BB eight have a, a thing that R two D two has because R two D two has the do do do, which is his like signature oh, noise. No. Did BB eight no. have a signature noise? Yeah, it's like yeah. Some sort of thing. I, I did forget that I totally love when RTD2 is like having a bit of a sh- fit and he goes like, What is it he does? He goes like, um, oh, Like when you throw him in the lava when you're playing Lego. <laughs> what's, that, like, what's that noise he makes? He makes the, an RTD2 um, squeal. Oh, wailing noise that he makes. Yeah. yeah it's like, Wah! Or something, Andrew. Gus is going to find it and we're going to listen to it. So. I'll edit it in later. Hi, Gus is it. Gus is on it right now. Right now. Right now. Oh, I can't find it. I think, <laughs> I think BBA is cuter, but I would prefer to have R2D2. 
Uh, I just have R A B B eight. BB-8 mm. can like negotiate landscapes better. And he can do a thumbs up. Oh, that was good. That is true. The thumbs up was awesome. That's that still makes me laugh every time I see it. <laughs> yeah, they, they managed to give BB-8 quite a lot of personality. <laughs> <That's cool. laughs> I'll edit one more time. With feeling. <laughs> I'll play <it> again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> That's like the base bit of RTD2. <laughs> oh no, it's not. The other, the best bit is his is his signature noise. Have you got that one as well? His little questioning noise. Um, I can probably find it. <laughs> oh, you have to play that as well. You can't just play the scream. I feel like, I feel like R2 is, um, you know, he's like he's more of a an ass, so he's more of an adult character. Whereas BB8 feels like, I mean, droids can be children. He's more of, of a child, you know, just. Or something kind of cutesy and innocent about him, and the, the way people talk to him as well is kind of like, yeah, well done, well done, you know, that that kind of stuff. Do you think they limited the amount of C- oh yeah C three PO in this film because he's got slight Jar Jar potential? <laughs> it's because we wouldn't recognise him because of the red arm. It's the red arm, <laughs> right? But I think I think C three PO fits into the old films. But I don't know if he would fit quite as well into this new Star Wars. So I think it's probably good that they didn't have him around so much. Well, he only really has one scene, and it's kind of played as a uh, a tension breaker between Han and Leia. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's kind of a there's a lot they're not saying to each other, and then he just interrupts as he does. I think it's a really awkward character to sort of have around. He doesn't yeah. have... I mean, as much as he's he's a bit of a fun character, he doesn't serve much of a purpose. If you're going on a mission to invade a base and... <laughs> it's, you don't take your He's sort of the last person that you would take with you, at least with r 2 <laughs> He'll help you break into doors. But, you know, C-3PO, I think you can just sort of block the corridor with. Yeah. He's like his best pal. I think just for story purposes, he was kind of left on the sidelines in this one. Yeah, there wasn't really any translating needing done, so he wasn't No No delegations coming to visit. A lot of the times in the past, it was just he was accidentally there. It wasn't particularly like they went, oh, we need him. (laughs) Let's let's take that guy. It was was more, oh, he just happens to be here in the background of the shot. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, they're supposed to sit or stand near diplomatic functions and translate between that's that's what protocol droids tend to be for, but you don't really see them do a lot of that. He's Certainly like retired to... now though. It's just like a retired. it's just like his pal. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they could just wipe his memory again and then you know, <laughs> start start all over. Yeah. Um the character I find quite interesting was Maz. Uh, mostly because it's the first time we've seen a kind of Force-sensitive character without them being a Jedi or a Sith. So I she... Is Maz the one with like the big massive glasses who looks a bit like that person from like, The Incredibles, but also a bit like a slug? You mean Orange Yoda? Yeah. yeah. Who loves Orange Yoda? Kenna loves Orange Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a dated joke. No, it's not! No, it's not dated. It's very current. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, that one person. (laughs) But 
Yeah, I find that kind of interesting because before it's kind of this all or nothing, they're either a Jedi or a Sith, whereas we haven't really seen anybody that understands this sort of stuff without um, without being part of one of those disciplines. Maybe that's where the uh, the extra stuff that's been built around these films over time has been able to provide some form of positive influence on it because isn't that's quite a that's quite a new thing from the books and so on, isn't it? Uh, I don't know if it's new. It's probably kicked about since they did side media, since they started doing side media. But I know that Rebels did it this season early on. Um, but it's the first time in the main series of films that you see that sort of stuff. At least have that sort of stuff confirmed. What sort of stuff? Uh, someone being able to understand how the Force works without and use it to an extent without um, actually being a Jedi or a Sith. Um, but you don't know who she is. She says she's not a Jedi, but she knows the Force. Well, she might not be a Jedi yet. No, she's like ancient, right? So, um, <laughs> she's Orange Yoda. She's Orange Yoda. <laughs> um, I see when I first saw her, I was really like, "Oh, what gimmicky crap is this?" And I was a bit like, and I was a bit put off. I thought she was a bit. Oh, I don't know. I just it took me a little bit out of the illusion of the movie because I just kept on thinking. Whoa, to do this scene, it must be so weird because either somebody had loads of things suffered to their face and was like in a green suit or they're literally talking to like an empty space. And I was like, oh, that's really strange. Ping pong ball on a but stick. then, yeah. But then. It was a motion capture, I think, on set. Well, either or. It still sort of took me out of it a wee bit. And it was only really when that scene where she goes down to find Ray having found the saber and stuff that I was like mm, yeah you're alright so I mean, she was okay but I don't know I'm not a huge fan of like super like things not really existing in the movies I, I mean I think get a hold of that lightsaber I mean that, that that was gone I mean the thing is she she's an interesting character but I have the feeling that it was mainly introduced so that you can drop back in in the young Han Solo movie that's coming up I mean, I have the feeling that's the next time you'll see that character. And whether they've sort of introduced it in this film so that when they go back and they do it in the young Han Solo film, it sort of has context. Yeah, I never thought They've known each other for a long time. They've sort of introduced each other. You know, I I do think that's when you're next going to see that character. Now, whether whether that's the only reason they sort of tied it in or if there's a greater reason later on, I don't know. But Yeah, she could be. Uh, It never occurred to me she might turn up in the, the Han Solo film. And I think the next two films in this trilogy could probably happen without her because all she really existed to do in this film was get Ray on the the path to understanding her Jedi ness. Yeah, yeah, how did she that get that reason. lightsaber? That thing was that thing was lost. <laughs> yeah, and the hand. <laughs> Where's the hand? Oh, maybe it was like in the in the the treasure chest. We just didn't see it. <laughs> Or in like a glass case, like it's like you know, like when you go to like a creepy church and they've got like really like gross fisty bones belonging to saints and stuff. Could Maybe be like that. The relic of Luke Skywalker's hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Could be. Luke Skywalker. Oh yeah, he's got my hand. He does. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Have you even seen Star Wars? <laughs> so, out of the new characters, our villain, main villain, I suppose, for this one at least, is uh, Kylo Ren. And I didn't much like him. I think. What? 
Yeah, I just mm-hmm. thought he he was def he was definitely supposed to be a discount Darth Vader, but he felt like a really bad discount Darth Vader for me. He just felt all whiny and emo and yeah. I loved him. Love Kylo Ren. <laughs> For those reasons, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was great. And, um, oh, can I interrupt you, Craig? Go ahead. So, you I... You don't usually ask permission. <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> I, I loved him. I loved that he's so different to, um, like, previous baddies. Like, he normally, like, all the previous bad guys have been quite... Um, level-headed in a sense that the um do I think of words now if, oh, damn it yeah so he's quite unpredictable whereas I felt like a lot of the previous bad people have been quite set in their ways and um and they're quite predictable in how they're going to respond to certain things and I find him really exciting as a character because he's he has that um that naivety and he's quite immature um, and he's found himself with a lot of power in a, in a position that uh, that he obviously wants but you can tell that he, do, he's, he shouldn't maybe be in it but I really like him I really I thought he was great how can you not like him as a character for pretty much the reasons you like him <laughs> I just no, yeah, I think it makes it more exciting to watch because it's like it's like um you can see with him where development's gonna happen over the movies, like with him in it, like before. It's been quite static, I felt, with the the bad guys. They've just been the bad guys, but here I think, you know, we might see uh, yeah, we're definitely gonna see him mature and uh, and oh I thought he was really exciting. I think he's one of the most interesting characters in the film i think he's one of the most original characters in the film mm. and i think that you've said that there's kind of surrogates for all the original trilogy you know you've got ray equals luke finn equals han and so on whereas you, they, they've made it they've made a good decision making the baddie in this not just a vader clone because if you because vader's like the ultimate screen badass he was scary and just in control just kind of marched around the place uh throwing people around, choking people out. But in this, you've got this, you know, petulant child who, <laughs> who just throws tantrums and wrecks the place. And I think for that reason, it's like, you know, it's good to see something different. And that, as you've said, I hope that we do see him kind of mature into another ultimate badass, which is probably what we wanted to see from Anakin Skywalker in the prequel trilogy. But we never Absolutely. really, got, never really got the proper kind of evolution into evil Darth Vader. I think that's definitely the key because he's the, the he's he is actually for the first time an 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 investigation into a dark side apprentice. This is what an apprentice of the dark side would actually be like. And you, I don't know if we've ever seen that before. It's, it's all the light side apprentices. Mm-hmm. I don't no, think like you, that he wants to be evil, but keeps getting pulled in by his bright thoughts, and that's. It's interesting in theory. I don't think they pull it off all that well, but um, maybe it will be handled better in future films. I think it'll develop. I mean, when you first see him at the beginning in the village, I sort of looked and thought, oh, no, we've got a discount Darth Vader. But then obviously (laughs) after 
you know, they slowly break it apart until you find out, oh my God, he is just an absolute tantrum and a hissy fit for, <laughs> you know, losing things. He's he's not good at his job. He keeps making all these decisions that are just completely wrong. Well, we go after the droid. No, 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 it's all right. I've got her. It's fine. <laughs> then it all goes wrong. You know, it's it, it's an interesting character to see go on. And I, I, I quite like him in the, in the role. I think he's... It, it'll be interesting to see where he goes. Obviously, the big sort of build up in the film is to Han's death and I'm sort of doing that and he does take you to the point where you think oh we, we're going to get redemption he's going to turn around now it's all going to go you know he's going to go back with them back to the base and, you know, <laughs> and then it's like oh oh, oh right okay he hasn't done that okay and, you know <laughs> I, I, I was a little bit surprised by that I thought oh they're going to do the whole redemption thing really really quick and then nope no they're not <laughs> it's, uh, so it's um no, I'm I'm going to be interested to see where this goes. My my only thing with him was his accent, which seemed to change like the wind. And, <laughs> and you know, obviously, when he's got the mask on, he sounds completely different. But even when he's got the mask off, the accent goes all over the place. Hmm. That's a dark so, side for you. The dark Irish, side. Irish villain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought the reveal that um, he's Han Solo's son was kind of clumsy because he had. Snoke, you know, explaining to Kylo Ren that Han Solo was his father when, you know, he knows. Um, I actually think the reveal would have been better if it had happened on the uh, the walkway, you know, where um, if Han said the face of my son, then it would have, I think it would have been more shocking that way because mm-hmm. they don't really do anything with it once they reveal it anyway. I think that would have been too similar to the sort of Darth Vader reveal on a gantry Hanging seriously yeah. yeah. over a ledge, if he had sort of turned around and went, "I'm your son," you know, or "You're my son," you know, it's. It, I think it would have just. It would have been. You know, we're all right. You know, later on we're going to talk about some of the plot similarities, but I think that would have been too much. You know, that would be parallel too far. Yeah, yeah, it would have been. It would have been really close, and it does sort of eat into what I was saying earlier on about this sort of galaxy. It's meant to be space. How come everyone? is one of these, sort of, you know, we're going to have, oh, they're all solos, and then we've got all the Skywalkers over here, and how, you know, it, it does seem awfully convenient that all these things are tied in. I don't I think they know. could have actually left the reveal that late either, because it would have required several scenes between Han and Leia mysteriously talking about a third person who was <laughs> definitely around all the time but for some reason they're trying not to say about too loud and it just would have been awful dialogue so they they, they had to bring it out that this guy was their son because it just so, so they could give those characters something to actually talk about meaningfully bring it bring it out with the awful dialogue of this droid is in the hands of your father and solo <laughs> <laughs> well one one line of exposition I think is much more forgivable than three in-depth scenes of high emotion talking about somebody whose name we cannot mention. That would have been much worse. I mean, you could have had Snoke sort of saying it's on the Millennium Falcon and then the reveal being when they're on the planet and Leia lands there, he could say, I've seen our son. That feel, I think, rather than sort of, Snoke clumsily doing it from his massive throne. Yeah, uh, that would really, yeah that would be a better yeah yeah. I was really disappointed that Snoke was a giant hologram, which suggests that he's maybe not a giant. I really wanted him to be a giant. That would have been maybe cool. he's even bigger than that. 
<laughs> and the hologram's actually tiny. Yeah. Maybe. When, when they finally get around to killing him, I would like for him to be behind a little red curtain operating levers in the corner, <laughs> Wizard of Oz style. There was no force. It was just yeah. me. <laughs> it's me lifting things with these now obvious looking strings. Yeah, that'd be fun. I think, for me, the weakest person in the bad guy set, if you will, there was actually General Hux, because I don't feel that the character could be as young as he was. The the discount Vader, as you want to call him, had a reason to be that young. He was still on his path to, to some form of power, and there aren't necessarily many Jedi out there, so if you want an apprentice, you have to take the guy that's around, but would you really employ somebody who, what was he, was he in his 30s as the general of your entire order? He, I think he never had any power, I think, in his speeches when he was speaking over the entire First Order army. It, it didn't, he didn't have any gravitas like the, the older actors who's, the one I'm really thinking of who stood on the bridge of the Death Star, a really famous actor now, I can't think. Just the age alone gave you the feeling of someone who could really run a military. Peter Cushing. Peter yeah. Cushing, yeah. But this this guy just had to be approximately the same age as, as, as Ren, I think, in order to be a believable equivalent and rival to him. But I, I think I would have rather have seen the power of the dark side go up against a different power of the gravitas of a good military leader. I think that probably would have been stronger. Yeah, maybe he's um, maybe he's Tarkin's grandson or something. His nepotism is where he, why he's <laughs> where he is. Fine, make him a major, but make him the leader of everything. No, no, it didn't work. No, I mean, I, I would have thought he would have been maybe the boss of the base or the captain of the Star Destroyer at the beginning, but I never yeah. thought that that's that's the guy that's running the entire army. You know, yeah. yeah. He's more of a discount Tarkin than than Kylo Ren is a discount Vader, I think. Absolutely. And I think that in in Star Wars, there's like a kind of tension between Vader and Tarkin, and you never really know who's properly in charge. And sometimes Vader seems subordinate to Tarkin. So I think it would have Vader, been better. Him. I think it would have been better in this one if, as Aaron has said, there was a sort of older figure who it would have really brought out the kind of brat in Kylo Ren to be you know, subordinate to this older general who he clearly would feel that he was more powerful than. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's some work to do there. I don't know what role he will have in future films, presumably just still in charge of the, the entire First Order. But who knows? We know from a line of dialogue that he's escaped. Yes. So we, obviously we have some returning faces. We've talked a lot about Han Solo, but... Uh, I liked his role in this film, uh, how he took on the Obi-Wan um, role rather than, you know, being the, the skeptic, I suppose. So he, he talks about the Force because he believes in it now and, and he's there to be a mentor for Ray and Finn as well, to an extent. Um, so he's there to kind of get them on their way and tell them how things work. And I thought that was an interesting role for him. And it's good that Harrison Ford actually gave a crap because he normally doesn't when he does films. <laughs> These days, anyway. I don't know if it's because it was he sort of he knew it was going to be his final one, so he went, "Okay, I will just give this the, you know, the welcome back treatment, and then, yeah, I'll be in the film, but you will kill me, right? Yeah, you, pr- this you time, pr- please. promise I won't need to do another one. <laughs> 
I thought I thought when he arrived and did the sort of chewy were home thing, I think that was that was brilliant. That's when you sort of properly felt like you were back into Star Wars again with both of them on the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, yeah and then he's snarking seconds later, just like the old days. Yeah. When he's talking about the force and it all being true though, that's proper chills right there. <laughs> yeah. Biggest skeptic ever is now on board with it all. But how could he deny it after what he's seen? Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's a good swan song for Han Solo as a character, I think. Um, he gets a lot to do, and he's very active. And Did you see him running, though? Running? Yeah, like an old and he was like, trying to run, and I was like, oh my god. Well, you know, he, he broke his leg and crashed the airplanes and things. So, um, you know. <laughs> no, he's like so cute. Gets to fire a bowcaster for the first time. He does. And I'm surprised it's the first time he's used it. Yeah, me too. But, you know. <laughs> I mean, has Chewie just been really protective of it all this time and he's finally let him out of a shot? <laughs> Could be. Yeah. And, and Chewie was kind of his old self as well. You know, he's very kind of playful and, and quite cheeky in his own way. He looked very well groomed. I think yeah, they're going to be a bit more chewy. Although he does get to, you know, howl at seeing Han. He gets, like, shot impaled. on the arm. Yeah, and then gets told that he was very brave later on. I know, it's that so cute. Weird. It's so cute. <laughs> it's cute face. Mm. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting how, um, you know, obviously they brought back Peter Mayhew to play Chewy, but he doesn't play him in every scene. What? But, that's weird. Well, they got another younger, taller guy who can run. You know, where's Peter Mayhew? Not so good with the running because he's an old man. Oh, that's so um, sad. But it's interesting how I couldn't tell because Chewie has a particular way of conducting himself. He sort of hunches when he runs and things. And it, the, it might um, just be because he's in a costume. Yeah, but like I don't think just anybody could put on that costume and you believe that they're Chewie because he has a very his physicality is very kind of distinctive. And I think the younger actor managed to really pull that off. No, the stand-in did a did a really good job of that. But the chances are that he had to practice for ages, and you know they Most made likely. sure that he got it just right before yeah. they they let him do it. Before they let him loose. Um, I'm still pretty sad that Han Solo's is dead, by the way. I I can't form sentences today. I'm sure you've noticed. Uh, <laughs> I know, I'm actually pretty gutted. I'm just going back to that because I don't know what else we're talking about. You you probably get them in flashbacks and things in future films. I, I still think there's going to be little bits of hand about that. Obviously, it's not going to be a great film. But... You've never seen a flashback in a main series Star Wars film. Maybe they don't exist. At least he got a massive um, cremation when Starkiller Base blew up. Yeah. <laughs> Did anyone else think of a bad lip reading when Tube is wailing? No. Right, well, thanks, Craig. <laughs> I hope you know what I'm talking about. I know what I bad lip it. reading is, yeah. But you know the song, though, right? Yeah. Good. But I didn't know at the time, and I didn't think of it at the time. So. Right, well, I'm going to send it to you so that you can remember. I'll put it in again. the show notes as well. Yeah, it's not the future. <laughs> Tune. 
Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on Han? I mean, I think we've covered him quite heavily, but uh, him mean, in the mentor role, does that work for him or does it not? Well, he's not he's not 100% the mentor, really. I mean, I think that's what you know Luke's role is going to be in, in sort of the future. I mean, he, he sort of hands out weaponry and doesn't explain how to use it particularly. Yeah. You know, they're not... I know... Obviously, it's all cut down for time and stuff, but you don't really see him doing that much mentoring. It's more that he's going to deal with them until he can get them off the, his, his hands. I mean, he's doing everything he can to sort of get them on a different ship so that he mm. doesn't need to do anything with it. Yeah, he's he's sort of a... He's a mentor in the same way that Obi-Wan was in the in the first one, as in he just... He does enough to get them going and then steps back a little bit. I don't know. He's quite and nice dies. and protective of Ray and Finn and... And uh, and he has like some really nice bonding time with Ray, and and I'm quite sure he's she's the daughter that he always wanted. <laughs> yeah, this one won't go evil. Mm-mm. No, I don't think she will. <laughs> I don't think she will. <gasps> Do you think well, that there'll be like a moment where she'll like be um she'll think about it though? Do you think that's what's going to happen? Could be. Could be. Erin, uh, have you any thoughts on Han that we didn't cover? I think the only thing that I noticed about his scenes that we didn't cover is that the scene where he turns up is the one where I really noticed for the first time that the whole thing was shot in Britain. At least I assume it was because the serious number of British accents out there. Mm. You can't help but notice every single time that mm. an American film wants to indicate that someone is a real hard guy they find, can, get, can someone get us somebody with a Glasgow accent, please? We need a Glaswegian here. We need a really hard guy. and Because one of the bounty hunters, I think, comes on and he's just, he's just, gla- he's just oh, from Glasgow. That's that who he is. I love that. I thought it was really funny. I was like, I, I think it's really funny when you hear a Scottish accent in a, in a really big movie. A Star Wars film. I really love it. I thought it was great. But isn't, isn't... No, wait, that was something else. Who's that other Scottish guy who's in one of them and then it was like a son that's also like a fighter pilot or something? That's like a Scottish thing. Or wait, was that just Hugh McGregor? Uh, that's, that well, Wedge McGregor was in it, yeah. Wedge is played by a Scottish But his uncle was in one of the earlier ones, though, right? Yeah, he was a fighter pilot, yeah. So He was a Wedge. That's what I was thinking of. But uh, no, I quite liked the wee, the wee Ouija guy being in it. I thought it was really funny. Um, I thought it was good that they chose that British accent over one of those ones where you've got Vinnie Jones type <laughs> guy or something. Vinnie like Jones. Sort of a Danny <laughs> Dyer <laughs> character coming on. Hi, I was trying to avoid using his name. Uh, hi, so I was trying to think of like that other sort of a like skinhead type ruffian guy. Uh, so I quite like that they went with the wee Glasgow guy. Hmm. I thought it was quite good. Uh, <laughs> But I don't know why, like, it's, I don't know, Scottish accents do sound quite strange in a big movie when they're set against non-Scottish accents, but I did really, really like it, yeah. I, I, I just really liked that it showed that Han Solo was sort of still hustling and still going out and <laughs> double-crossing, you know, this sort of war hero that, you know, could probably just sit back and not do much anymore and... Uh, you know, he's still out there sort of swindling people and <laughs> double-crossing. Oh, I don't know. I felt a bit bad that that was still happening because it was a bit like... He'd had to go back to his oh, life crime. That he did. <laughs> like he hadn't... Um, 
properly pawned all his medals. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Go back to, to be being the, the Del Boy of the galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> it needs to be more aftercare for fighters. It That's is. what that movie showed. <laughs> uh, Leia had a lot less to do than he did. Uh, she turns up quite late and then she has a couple of meetings and talks she about her son. Bitching bitch jacket. It. Yeah. There's a couple of in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With signature Leia dues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and she feels Han's death as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she does. Because they're connected. Just the one thing that everyone else sort of seemed to complain about on the internet. When the Millennium Falcon arrives after Han's death, she goes and con- <laughs> goes and gives Rey a cuddle rather than Chewbacca. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on there? Yeah, like, lets him just walk off. <laughs> but that's them connecting. Maybe Chewbacca was too upset to hug. That's it. Yeah, his fur think- coat was soaking wet with tears. Yes. Yeah. And she did have an expensive coat on, so... She did. Honestly, I don't think she she did what she needed to do, turn up, be Leia, be in charge of the rebellion, uh, and connect with Han and give some words of wisdom to the new female role and, and that was it. I think she was used as what she was needed for, but maybe that was right. Maybe she couldn't take over. Maybe taking over would have actually been a bad thing. So yeah. Maybe she did what she needed to do, and that was exactly the right choice. I think there could be some brother-sister stuff in the next film. Yeah, but um, also it's just it's just not about the old characters so much anymore. You know, it's, it is about the ones who are going to be leading the... Handing the, the baton over yeah. to the next generation. Yeah, so we don't need to. We don't need to really... She doesn't kiss Luke on the lips in the next film, though. It's not going to be a proper Star Wars film. <laughs> If there's not some random incestuous stuff, yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's not have that anymore. <laughs> Maybe they could finally have that conversation, you know. Remember that stuff that was going on with us before we found this out? Yeah, that's weird. Even though she knew the whole time, like, creep. Apparently, yeah. Utter creep. Well, you, hear, you hear about brothers and sisters separated at birth that find each other after all these years and they have an attraction. So... Yeah, it's probably yeah. Let's abort this uh, this line of conversation. It's going to get weird real fast. Mm. I think that's yeah. what I need. So onto the story then. Uh, does it work what? as a as a story, or as the start of the story? Only at the story. <laughs> <laughs> that's excellent. Wow! It's, uh, <laughs> wow! <laughs> I still say that the repeat of the old film's plot, it it only becomes... Well, I I randomly watched it in thirds, this film, just because it was convenient to do so as as research for this. The first third, I did not notice the repeats at all. Now, they were there because, as you said, characters take the place of characters from the previous films, but I didn't notice in the second. In the third, I thought there were a couple of things I noticed, but the real obvious copying, if if that's what it was, um, was was only in the last third. And so, for the most part, for me, I thought that the, the story was new enough that I wasn't offended by it. See, I saw the the parallels like right away. I mean, you've got this 
a young person on a desert planet who doesn't know they're a part of a bigger story. They find a droid with some information that propels them onto the story and they come across an old wise mentor that knows what's going on and then they eventually destroy the Death Star. But for me, these things are often there when you look for them. But if you are involved in the plot, then it can vanish. And I think for me, when I was watching, I was involved enough that it didn't jump out at me. I was enjoying it enough that I wasn't looking for it. It's the same thing that we've said back on several films, even as far as... Uh, even with, say, like the Avengers, we all looked at the Avengers film and thought, oh, God, that was weird. Oh, that was wrong. Oh, how are they talking to each other? And all of these things came out after the fact, though. When you were in it, you were just enjoying it. So I think I could have noticed those things, but the presentation of the film right from the start, the imagery, some of the the, the plots and involvements for, for Ray herself at the start meant that I just wasn't looking for it. And and it, and it passed me by, and pleasantly so. Hmm. Yeah, it, I mean, it I, kept sticking I, out of me. I think on the first viewing, you don't particularly notice it, and I think it's like you were saying at the beginning. It, it, it helps you get into the Star Wars story because it is slightly familiar. You know, it helps sort of drag you in. I think it's only on sort of a repeated viewing that you go, oh, that is a bit similar to this and that's you know, I think every time you watch you kind of I end up picking up on other little bits and pieces that are similar but I don't think it takes away from the film I don't think it's a major issue in there because I think it's it's still a good way of introducing these characters yeah you I know, think tying your old and new together by putting them in a similar situation to what they were in before is actually quite a good mechanic even if you've got your direct parallels like your cantina scene and the uh, planning the death star i mean star killer base assault and everything that seems to fit directly into the original um the the film as a whole serves as a really good vehicle to kind of get back into the star wars universe introduce the new characters who are different enough from the originals and then kind of hand over the baton and let them kind of carry on the new story i think hopefully the next couple of films down the line are going to be a bit more original or the story is going to take a different path than one we've seen in previous trilogies. But I think as a kind of bridging point between the good old ones and hopefully the good new ones, I think this works works really well. I think it's strange that everyone's viewing the almost like repetitive nature of The Force Awakens as a bad thing, but everyone knows history repeats itself and, and it's kind of why are we missing the fact that we're showing that it's almost come full circle again for the story and and it's like almost like a another opportunity for them to try and write it or like make it work in a good way um like, I should admit, I wondered if they were doing that on purpose. I wonder if they were. I wonder if they were t- almost like the, the the BSG thing, who who literally built their story on that idea of history repeating itself by having that as one of their in-universe phrases. So, mm-hmm. was there, has anybody seen that online? Has somebody commented and said, "No, it's everything is Battlestar Galactica. Everything has happened Sorry. before will happen again." It was was one of their mantras almost religious mantras that they repeated now and again and i wondered if is that some 
think the force is going to bring into itself that there is forgive me for the disney reference a circle of life and everything does yeah. get repeated it moves us all it moves us all <laughs> <laughs> and every time it repeats uh, star killer base gets slightly bigger and slightly bigger really? <laughs> but that was you know i thought it was quite jarring it was like oh this was the death star and it shows this tiny little hologram and it's like this is star killer base it's like jj abrams saying my death star is so much bigger so yeah, but you yeah. just want to hate him. That's the reason. I don't actually want that. to hate J.J. Abrams. I actually, um, I actually thought he did a good job with the, the first Star Trek film. And there's a hey, podcast that talks about it's it. It's called Starkiller Base. It can't be like this pissy wee thing, do you know what I mean? <laughs> it, the thing is, um, in A New Hope, the, the Death Star was a big part of the story. They spend the bulk of the film on it. So you get an idea of you know what it is and how important it is and you know it, how there's been nothing like it before. But then... Starkiller base turns up in the last third of the film, really, and then it's it's not quite clear how it works. It or it sucks up a sun, and then uses that as fuel for its weapon. But does it move on to another sun after it does that, or or not? Yes, it would be able to like do multiple things. Is it a system with several suns? Yeah, I don't think I don't think we need to focus on that though. I don't think like you can get caught up thinking how specific things work absolutely because that's what star trek does that star trek puts in the techno babble and it says we have pseudoscience behind this that makes it real believe us whereas Mm. star wars never did that star wars is always space opera it works because it works yeah you don't need to do it you can just enjoy it for what it is and and i think you do have to I think maybe that's hard for Star Trek people when they're watching Star Wars because they want to have it sort of explained to them, but it's not necessary. I think other I think other aspects of the story are quite helpfully or not explained away, but covered by that approach as well. Where you wonder, didn't they win at the end of Return of the Jedi? What's the why is there a rebellion again? What what's the First Order? What's the what's the New Republic doing? It's possible to wonder about all these things, but the fact that they just kind of sweep past it and you see a lot of destruction going on, it's just it, you get kind of caught up in the pace of the of the adventure rather than what they got bogged down with in the prequel mm. trilogy, the kind of politics of it all, which turned out to be pretty stodgy and boring. Yeah, lots of really, really heavy stories. So much Senate. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we should go into that level of detail, but I think if you look at the, the role of the Death Star and, you know, A New Hope again, well, being on it, you get the you get the feeling that this thing moves, you know, it moves from place to place. It's powerful enough to destroy planets. It's the size of a small moon, which is kind of a big deal. But then Star Killer Base, you get none of that. You know, there, yeah, but, if you were, but if you were to do that, would you not then just be doing what you've been moaning about that you didn't like about this and seeing that they're just repeating uh, what they've already done? Like we've already had those scenes. We've already had that, that sort of um, experience of, exploring the Death Star and trying to find a way around it. There's a wee bit of it where Ray escapes and she's away clambering over the other side of this huge big like chasm and stuff in it. But I don't think you need to I don't think we need that at all. Like I mean they're repeating it anyway. You know, you've got a new Death Star. So Yeah, but not to that not yeah, but why what's the point of repeating um that amount of time and investment in being on that uh, on Starkiller base like I just it's not necessary for the story I think what Gus is saying as well like with the previous movies they have spent too long on certain aspects instead of just moving along with the story 
maybe they'll release like a half an hour half an hour like special commercial of like the benefits of star killer base <laughs> but i don't think it's necessary and it's not necessary for the movie i think um i struggle with the older movies because they are so heavy and so bogged down with like political crap and just because it's happening in space does not make it cool I think they need to just continue on with what they've got and just keep going with the story and that's far more engaging and interesting to watch than than having a wee scenic tour of how giant Starkiller Base is. It almost serves as a, a sort of reboot within the current timeline and canon, which is kind of strange because it's not really something you'd expect to, to be done before, but it kind of... It, it, um, yeah, I think it, it introduces all those concepts to potential new fans who might who might go back and watch the older ones having not seen them and think that they're quite slow and boring. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm interested in how the First Order came about and I'm interested in how they managed to build such a whopping big base and mm-hmm. sort of hollow out a planet without anyone trying to stop them. You know, it, it it does that. That's the bit that sort of confuses me. The technical aspect of it, you know, just like the Death Star and just like you know other things that you know you can explain them away in technobabble and they just work. You know, the technology's there and it mm-hmm. works. But you know, I I I do find it a bit weird that sort of there was a victory in the end and then that victory was sort of empty because they basically yeah. scattered and then reformed into the First Order. But obviously, like they're showing us, like Han and Leia have got a. Like a like a grown up son, a lot of time has passed. We and there's supposed to be mystery and and curiosity and intrigue into what has happened and what could have possibly happened in those years between them getting together and having a kid, um, him growing up and being part of like the dark side and being manipulated by all those people. And I think there is that a really exciting point. I think where they've had all this time pass. And they haven't been stopped because they haven't found Ray. They haven't found Finn. They've not had their main characters. Hansel's been away swindling Glaswegians and other people. And and he's not been interested in this. And he gets interested in it because he finds, like, new, like, fresh meat to 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 work with. And to, and he, ha- he suddenly has a reason again. It's not new to him that their kid is part of the, the dark side, but he finds a new reason to go out and uh, try, and, try and change uh, what's happening. And uh, and I think it's I think it's good, and I don't think they need to explain too much how it's happened. We just have to think. Like, it's more exciting for us to think, oh, my God, like, what could possibly have happened? And whatever we imagine it to be is probably going to be better than any backstory they try and tell us because uh, it's, it's more exciting that we when you think of all the possibilities instead of being told one particular storyline. I think it's exciting as well that there's some mystery again where you mm. have to wonder about the Knights of Ren and Snoke and the origins of the First Order. Where you know We've just come from a prequel trilogy where you've got Sen- Senator Palpatine at the very beginning and there's absolutely no mystery at all about where he's going to end up. And you know, you, you're basically watching three films knowing the outcome of it. Whereas now we've got we're at the beginning of a, a whole new sort of set of adventures, a whole new world. We can start to ask questions. Disney. <laughs> and uh, what is yeah? What is going to happen with Captain Phasma? <laughs> Boba Fett two point <laughs> Boba Fett two point Yeah, 
Yeah, completely ineffectual character behind a mask who does nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Are we going to talk about the um, the scene, which is like very much like uh, like Nazi Germany? Because that was like the worst scene. Yeah, well, j- just before they fire off the weapon for the first time. Yeah, like when well, they're all like together and all standing and they've got that guy and they've got all the evocative like red and black flags and stuff. And, and the Hitler salute. Yeah, like what yeah. was that all about? Where were they? Like, why were they? Why did they have to do that? Because like, then why? you don't. Then you know that they're evil. Yeah, but ugh, I don't know. I just found it. I found that really cheap, actually, which is funny. Like, I just I don't know. Don't I don't think that I think they could have had a more original way of um, conveying <laughs> that idea. Why we does, already know what they're like. Why does Hux have to give them a pep talk? It did seem it's like all, a bit of a waste. They've all been brainwashed into believing mm-hmm. what the First Order tells them anyway. Maybe yeah. he just likes to give speeches and they just let yeah. him because he's Tarkin's grandson. <laughs> but yeah, no, Gus has got a point though. Like, if they're supposed to be brainwashed and um, brainwashed clony stormtrooper people George they shouldn't Clooney. need to have a pep talk because it's already been programmed into them what they're going to have to do it, it kind of that jars a lot with with me and I remember feeling quite uncomfortable seeing that scene in the cinema and um and I, oh, I don't know I was glad when that wee bit was finished but I just didn't think it was necessary whatsoever yeah, although it has been established that the programming can be broken, you know, Finn is proof of that. So um, maybe it's something to do with making sure that everyone is still loyal to the First Order. Yeah, I, mean, I agree with you that that scene is, that scene is horrible and, and she probably shouldn't have been in it, but um, I don't know. It is probably just to dial up the threat level of the um, the First Order, even though it really doesn't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't... I. Because you see at the start when Finn is beginning to defect and and he gets called in to see whoever that female one is. Who's that? Captain Phasma. <laughs> yeah, and she like she calls and says, right, you're going to have to hand in your gun and blah, blah, blah. And they're aware of him because they know that he's not uh, contributed to that, that uh, killing the village and stuff. But it's like they'd be aware of which ones were defected and they would... They would just get rid of them because they they're they're just like objects to them. Do you know what I mean? Like they're not don't have any meaning, and it's not like they need those extra couple of bodies. They would just get rid of them. So I don't understand still why they would need to have that pep talk. I think all. I agree with I'd... you. I agree with you that the, the scene itself was was overkill. But mm-hmm. if you if you want to analyze it, I think that there's definitely a difference between. Uh, brainwashing somebody and then giving them constant reinforcement of that brainwashing and having someone who is so robotic that you can afford to just kill his friends in front of him and he won't question it. They are still humans. They will still look over and go, oh, where's Steve? Where's Steve? Steve, Steve, Steve gone? Yeah. Oh, he's in the, tra- he's in, he's in the, yeah. he's just been compacted and turned back into uh, sort of Our greed, food. you know. <laughs> So they they, do, I mean, they did it in the the older ones, right? And I know that this one they've really made an effort to make it more personable. But like this whole, oh, but they're friends. It's not like they have like social playtime. They might do, except in like when you watch like the Family Guy versions of Star Wars, <laughs> or play the Lego games where you see them in saunas and things. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, I don't know. I thought it was weird. I mean, you could have done it with just a speech in the control room to the people that were in there, rather than having it in front of the masses in front of the building. You know, if, yeah. if, if they wanted to scale it down. I mean, when you think of the first firing of the Death Star, you know, they just sort of did it in in the, in the observation deck with sort of four or five people around. Yeah. I wonder if they just really wanted a sort of, like, Nazi scene in it. Like... Yeah, the, I mean, the First Order, the, the film does nothing to really develop them as, a, I guess, an organisation, uh, other than that they are evil and for some reason. We're doing that thing again where I like a movie and then we analyse it and then I don't like it anymore. <laughs> you do know what this podcast does, right? What? <laughs> we, we sit and pick apart films. That's, <laughs> that's, that's what we do. Yeah. It's okay, I think, I, still it, like I think it actually says something about the film if we're being so pernickety about this particular scene that actually there isn't that much to complain about overall. You know, if if we are looking at a you know a scene that only takes you know a few seconds really, or yeah, a minute or entire, so. It's an entire scene though that just completely throws that as they say spanner in the works. It just completely jars with everything else that they've done that you. I don't know, it just didn't sit with me like well at all. As soon as that, that scene was there, oh, I don't know, it's that whole thing of feeling disconnected to what you're watching. Um, I think for me the worst part of it that badly was that it just kind of um, undermined or kind of uh-huh. uh, pointed out Hux as being a bit too young for the role, I think, or yeah. the, role, the character being too young. I just, yeah, it never really felt like it fit all that well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the the villain stuff was was pretty, you know, was was okay at best, I suppose. I think, um, I mean, if I were doing it, I wouldn't have had Star Killer base in it at all. So that speech wouldn't have existed at all, anyway. But the um, I did find Ray's growth as a Force user uh, probably the most interesting mm-hmm. plot that went mm-hmm. through because it kind of. Well, I mean, on the posters you saw Finn with the lightsaber and stuff, so the assumption was... Unless you were in might... Asia. Yeah. In which case he wasn't on the poster at all. All right. Well, the, certainly the assumption in the posters I saw were was that... Because I only saw the posters, I didn't really see... I saw the first trailer, but nothing after that. So I, I kind of thought, assumed that he would be the, the Jedi type. So it came as a bit of a surprise when Ray turned out to be the Force-sensitive mm-hmm. one. Well, he's the first one to wield it as well, isn't he? Yeah. And he's the first non-Jedi that we've seen to use the lightsaber as a weapon, which is quite interesting. Mm. Yeah, did you guys uh, hear about that? Like, China completely removed Finn from the the poster, and I think, or, or they moved him really, really small down into a bottom corner. I Mentally. Not. Mental. Mm. Mm. Different catchments and so on. Yeah. Well, or a bit racist. That's an issue for a different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but um, it's interesting because coming off the the prequels where you hear that, you know, Anakin at, what, nine years old is too old and then Rey is possibly in her 20s? No, she'll she'll be like 16 or 17 or something. I don't think she's much older than that. Yeah, I think she's she's probably like very, very, very similarly aged to Kylo Ren. Hmm. You never get get told how old these people are, do you? 
in this film anyway. Yeah, yeah. I think the American system of using actors a lot older than they really are catches you out. I think they are supposed to be late teens as well. It's just mm-hmm. that they have to use older actors. I think that's why we get all those like childish characteristics shining through to to um, uh, to really invoke that that coming of age type thing and and uh, all that stuff. I mean, she's too old according to Jedi doctrine, isn't she? Uh, no matter how old she is. But she's like a natural. But she's a natural though. Like she doesn't need yeah. like she's got the power within her. She doesn't need to um, to have anything else plus you'd probably get a lot less picky when there's only one person you can possibly train up you know <laughs> yeah I, I thought the the growth of her abilities was was quite interesting how you know she rejected it at first when she got that when she touched the lightsaber and she saw that confusing vision of what had come before and what might come later you know mm-hmm. i've went through that vision but i can't figure out what it's supposed to be which is i guess the idea it mm-hmm. might all become clear later on, or it might be even more confusing. Who knows? Um, but I liked her initial rejection of it, and then when she mind tricks Daniel Craig, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That, that was cool. Yeah, I liked that. I remember being like so, uh, so excited when she managed to to get it to work. Yeah. yeah. And then her first attempt at a lightsaber battle, where she's on the run for the most part. Well, she gets what? the upper hand towards the end. Mm-hmm. When the like the ice and stuff breaks, like that bit, like all the green. yeah. You love the bit where she force pulls the lightsaber out of the snow into her hand. Yeah, oh, that whole like that fight scene is just great. It's pretty like, badass. Oh, I that's, that is a good moment. Yeah, loved the uh, the fight scene. It wasn't too long either. It was like, yeah, it was really good, and um, it's proper cheer out really loud moment. It. I think. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm sad that I'm not like younger watching it because I feel like I'd be yeah could be much more like geeky about it. Well, I feel like um, I feel like Ray might favour a double-edged lightsaber because she has that stick thing that she uses earlier in the yeah. film. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe she'll uh, modify it with the help of uh, someone. <laughs> Cure someone. I don't know. Q. <laughs> Jedi Q. Particularly her journey. Uh, I think you've covered it, if I'm honest. No, you've covered pretty much everything that I wanted to say. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what were people's thoughts on the the ending of the film where she encounters Luke and, and stands there awkwardly holding out a lightsaber for what feels like an eternity as the, the camera pans round? Love it. Did you not like that, Craig? Loved it. <laughs> I just, I think, um, I think it would have been better to roll credits as soon as Luke turns around and looks at her, rather than having that long lingering shot because it just felt. No, weird. you have to Love showcase it. the beauty of Scotland. Um, I isn't I, it Ireland? I think it's Ireland. Oh, Ireland! It's Ireland. 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 <laughs> it all looks the same. What? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. They're on the green pastures and sound by water. Loved it. Um. So much water, Craig, you should like it. Yeah, Craig. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of water in that scene, Craig. With your water fetish. <laughs> they aren't in the water, though, so, you know. Right, okay, so that's a different movie. Um, I liked it, and I think it's good because I think having that prolonged moment is good because it leaves us wondering 
whether Luke is going to uh, accept. You know, he could still be like, no, I'm not having any part of this. And uh, and he keeps us waiting, you know. There's no uh, there's no immediate um, satisfaction from it, other than when he turns around and he still looks beautiful. <laughs> Sweet I, I would love if that was the beginning of sort of episode eight, is him turning around and going, no, nah, I'm all right, thanks. You, you too. <laughs> <laughs> Such an anticlimax. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, you've got the wrong guy. Uh, <laughs> Luke's on that other giant island. In yeah. Ireland, not Scotland. Not anymore. <laughs> Why did I think it was Scotland? Don't know. One of the things I really loved about that was the was the music. Yes. I I really like the music in this film, and I Ray's theme is already a classic for me. I could listen to that over and over again, and I think it's I think it's really sort of atmospheric, and the, it kind of helps build all the emotion as she's climbing the steps towards Luke, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I think it's already for me become part of the whole sort of Star Wars symphony where the music from the originals is so well known and the fanfare and uh, the force theme as Luke's staring off at the twin sons. You know, it's all, it, it sort of pick, takes me all right back to feeling those emotions from all those scenes. And uh, I think that's where the prequels kind of failed, apart from Duel of the Fates, which is an amazing piece. It didn't really have any, you know, it didn't have anything quite like. Ray's theme or the Force theme that kind of that just hearing a few bars of it just puts you right back into the film, and so when that came back from her, uh, you know, it comes in at the beginning when she's on Jakku, and there's maybe another couple of times in the film, but you know, as that's playing as she's ascending the stairs towards destiny, I was just like, yes, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, and I would have been all for that if it wasn't for the the awkward lingering. It just, I don't know, it felt like something should have happened, but they're just standing there. It's not awkward lingering, it's more of like... We're looking, giving, into, we're looking into her face as she contemplates yeah, her future as a, yeah. a force user. Yeah, it's just giving that scene space, and I think maybe we're not used to it, because we're so used to having so much action and so much um, immediate uh, and it, like response to things. And I just think having space for for that scene makes it far like, more important everything ties back as well yeah. because the, you, the the music helps you think back to her being a scavenger on jakku and she had nothing and she was you know scratching out the number of days she'd been alone yeah. and waiting then, for her family and to then, return and then there she is looking into the face mm. of luke skywalker and he's staring back and there's so much emotion on his face as well that uh, everything that he's been through and we're going to find out all about what happened with is kylo he, ren is he her father has to be How can you say you don't like that scene? It's so. Like, I'm not saying I don't like it. I just don't like the end of it. Just but, it's that but long. That's part of it. You can't separate that part where you know they're moving around the characters, um, and they're not doing anything. You can't separate that part from her approaching him. It's it's all part of it. You can't um, you can't break it down as far as that. It's not fair for the scene, and it's not fair for the story to do that to to view it like that. Hmm. Sorry, feel a bit passionate about <laughs> uh, As a slight sidebar, has anybody seen the Very Lonely Luke Twitter account? Where it's like Luke Skywalker standing on the top of this hill or mountain and uh, just contemplating things. It's just someone who's writing random thoughts that he might have. It's so funny. Oh, I'll have a look so at it. 
There's one 24th of November. Today I'm thankful for my family and that I never have to see them. <laughs> That's not fair. I'm sure he's going to love being a dad. Wait, what if it's what if it's not like what if they've totally like 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 misled us? If they've hit you with the old switcheroo. Yeah, like what if like what if she's actually like the sister of Kylo Ren? What if she's actually like Leia's daughter from a different sort of bad relationship. Oh my god. What if like Leia did like some other stuff with someone before she then had a baby with like <laughs> oh that wouldn't make sense. She would have had to have had the baby. <laughs> if I think if you want the pa- if you want the parallels then she has to be a hidden a hidden sister just like Leia was a hidden sister which would yeah. make her Leia's child. Yeah. I think that that's the that those that and and Luke's daughter are the only two options that are really strong. Um, I probably could go either way, actually. No, I don't know. Like it, it def- well, Daisy Ridley does have a certain Natalie Portman esque quality to her, just to look at her. A lot of the uh, yeah yeah. So you know, it seems like she might be she might have Skywalker DNA somewhere. I think it'll be. I'm. Oh, I just feel like now that I've said that out loud, though, it's going to be something else. And there's a weird theory that she was conceived by. I don't want to say those words because it's kind of a swear word, but she was conceived in the same way Anakin was, and therefore she is now the the prophesized chosen one. (laughs) Uh, I read that one. I don't really agree with it, but it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if they went down that route. Mm. So what? Yeah. I don't know if they'll go if they'll reference very much that happened in the prequels. Uh, the further away they go from them, I think the better they are. Yeah. Yeah. But you never know, because remember, a large part of the audience of this this film will have only seen the prequels, maybe. And there would be an interesting perspective to have on these new ones, but it felt more like what Angus was saying that. We're trying to rewrite the theme of Star Wars in the people's heads that have only seen those ones and say, yeah. no, 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 that's not what it was. This is what it was. And if that is what they're trying to do, then going back to the old stuff would undermine that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't know when answers will be forthcoming, I suppose, in the next one. Although maybe Luke will just be a bit of a, a twat about it and just uh, not decide not to tell her. Or he'll tell her the truth from a certain point of view. Hmm. Well, again, if they want the parallel, then they'll do the Yoda thing and 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 not tell him because it's part of his journey to find and overcome that, and the surprise is almost part of the challenge. Yeah, I think that's the bit actually. What I think about the repeats is the one thing that I, I'm wary of and hope they don't do. So I'm not bothered about this this circle of going back on themselves and and revisiting some of this past. But I think if episode eight is going to be a lost master trains a new person on a water-filled planet, then this repeating will be too much for me. So far, I've not noticed, but now I have noticed because we've gotten to the end of, the, of, of episode seven. Episode eight, I'm going to be looking for it all the time. Hmm. Yeah, it's where they go next is an interesting question. And, um, I mean, what, what do people think will happen next? 
I almost don't want to speculate because I hope that they they don't, like Aaron said, I hope that they just kind of cast off from what's come before and and kind of go out onto a new uh, narrative rather than relying too heavily on on previous sort of uh, stories we've seen. Yeah, I, I'm I'm just hoping for a surprise. To be that's my that's my hope, you know, for it not to be familiar or not to be predictable. I mean, they're yeah. definitely doing the right thing by doing these sort of gaps, these two-year gaps. Obviously, they've got to do it for production in the first place. But the fact that you're still getting a Star Wars story, but it's a Han Solo movie or it's going off on a different, you know, it's a Finding the Plans of the Death Star movie that are going in between, I think sort of helps in a little way. But as long as it's not predictable, as long as it doesn't sort of copy along the same lines, I think it will be all right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't really want another training movie where, you know, there's the suggestion that Rey is tempted by the dark side and then she runs off to fight Kylo Ren even though she's told she shouldn't and things like that. And I'd like to see them do a more, yeah, something very different in the next one. Because there are some interesting hints there, you know, where did Rey come from? Who's, uh, whose daughter is she? Who's, you know, who's she related to? Where did she fit in on all this? Um there's the whole Knights of Ren stuff that might be interesting. Uh, just how big is Snoke is another one. <laughs> um, you know, and at the moment, I mean, by themselves, they're not that interesting at the moment, but there's any number of ways they could go with it, with any of it. Will we ever see an Ewok again? <laughs> I goddamn hope so. <laughs> Yeah. Mounted on the wall as a hunting trophy. Oh my god, Chris! <laughs> uh, next to Jawa. Scottish no. Jedi with an Ewok head as a spawn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Why was, would you do that? Why would you do that? <laughs> Jedi this robes. Is not advocating in any Jedi robes made out of Ewok. Ewoks. Or, yeah. Do do not hunt Ewoks, only mount the dead ones that you find by the side of the road. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, any other theories from anyone? Um, like in general? Yeah, but well, about this, these series of films. <laughs> well, the, the fact that Snoke is kind of, looks pretty old and battered and makes you, you know, I've seen a few theories about who he could be. Wait, it's not the like yeah. yeah. and but I don't I don't know. I don't really want it to unless it's like a, you know, a really surprising reveal. I don't mean in terms of like being a Jar Jar or something. It's their granddad. I just hope that it it works out well and it doesn't it's not, you know, like a kind of disappointment when it, when the reveal <laughs> eventually comes. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one because he's already kind of a nothing so far, so what can they do to him that makes him more interesting? I mean, he must have been in a position before for him to somehow manage to pull together all the remnant bits of the Empire. Mm-hmm. He must have and been in some sort of position of, well. you know, he, he must have been in some position of power in the first place to be able to sort of get the influence enough to pull all these bits and pieces back together. Yep. Yeah, so, you know, you, he'll be a tough one. I think he'll be the toughest one to, to pull off. Mm. I guess we'll find out what next year. When's the next one out? Uh, next Christmas. 
Episode 8 is next Christmas. Uh, ages is away. Christmas. We'll just have to make do with Rogue One. Anyway, the music is absolutely bitching. <laughs> so, uh, something was sort of touched on, but haven't really dealt with in detail. Like, Star Wars is always well known for its action sequences, so how does this film do in executing interesting action sequences? Um, I really enjoyed them. I'm trying to think of, uh, of when they all were... Good dogfighting, ex-wings ex- and fighter. Good dog I think the first, the first Millennium Falcon scene is a standout one for me. That was that was tremendous, it, where they fly it for the first time. And the, just the, even the little detail of when they're fighting, they're, is it the, they're, are they going against two TIE fighters? And they destroy one of the TIE fighters, and then a bunch of scavengers run out from the desert and start yeah. grabbing bits of live hot TIE fighters. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the gun that Finn is manning gets damaged. So they have to line up and aim. Well, I don't know why he doesn't just use the other one. Gus is mocking me right now because he, I don't know that dogfight meant something in the sky. <laughs> or in space. I think the dogfighting is great. I think that first scene with the Millennium Falcon, that you know, the, the junk will do, I think is just brilliant. Yeah. Uh, yep. I, I was not expecting it. And when there's that reveal, it just was brilliant. The, the sort of surprise of that the the big sort of battle at the end uh, the dog fighting and scenes there I thought were good um, but the, the sort of fight scenes and everything were really well done I thought mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it's tricky it's tricky for them to do the, the sort of ground battle at Mazzy's place as well you know sort of big epic scenes of destruction there yeah I absolutely love the stormtrooper that um calls Finn a traitor and then seems really angry and goes after him. You know, that that was the a much more developed character than Captain Phasma ever was in this film, just for that one moment, because he actually does something. I wondered why that wasn't Phasma. You know, yeah. wouldn't she have been down there on the ground assault? But I suppose it's someone that needed to be blown out of the way and shot quickly on, yeah? Yeah. They could have got him out of it in some other way. Who knows? Um but yeah, that in theory that could have been Phasma because that's a far more interesting thing, you know. And it's just the way he yells "traitor" uh, at Finn and then um, and takes him on. It was really cool. Uh, my personal favourite scene or action scene is the Tie Fighter escape. I just think that's you know it's got the the great character interactions and it's really fast paced and really like kinetic and um, although it kind of ends a bit abruptly and then. You have the question of how did Poe survive for the next hour or something like that after the crash. Yeah, what was it? Like he got rescued or something? I think they just meant, yeah, it's, there's one line about it, but I don't know what it was. Yeah, I thought he was free. dead. <laughs> He's yeah. still free. He threw his jacket back on the burning <laughs> carcass or whatever plane <laughs> thing they were in. <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was a. I thought that was a great sequence. It's just, um, I don't know, it was one of those, because it's one of the early ones. So it feels like, um, it feels like everything the prequel got wrong about action sequences put right, if you know what I mean. In a similar way to the lightsaber battle being more grounded and a bit more like the original trilogy than 
using force jumps and flipping all over the place. Yeah, although I never really had a problem with uh, Jedi at the top of their game using their, you know, abilities and skills in unison. Um, but yeah, the, <laughs> but the whole, uh, yeah, the, the whole weight behind the lightsaber battle was was good. And like I said before, when Ray was pretty much on the defensive until she trusted her instincts, I thought the new trench run was a bit of a mess. Yeah, the where Poe flies down the the new Death Star trench, and it's kind of a repeat of the the old Death Star trench run, but it feels a bit kind of I don't know, it feels messy to me. I thought it was good sort of seeing it not go to plan. You know, they've sort of sat there and they they thought, oh well, we'll just go there and we'll do a bombing run on it, and that'll be it. Yeah, I think seeing that the plan was flawed, it didn't work the way they said it was. They didn't have plans that were sort of detailed enough that they could look for that tiny little flaw in there. You know, it was it was you've got to destroy this entire complex to to make it work. The sort of final bit of them flying inside the building, I did kind of think, oh well, the thing would probably be destroyed at some point. But um, but no, I thought I thought it was all right. Really, it was a means to an end. Yeah, and begs the question of what they can do next with all these big action set pieces. I mean, I suppose they've got an unlimited budget these days, so they could just come up with all this outlandish stuff. Yeah, any more on the the action, or perhaps the the your favourite mystery, and that's established in this film? Um, I don't think so. I think we've covered quite a lot of the sort of more mysterious elements of the plot and what we kind of hope might come from them. Unless anyone else has anything. I just want to know where where Jar Jar is in all this. Not appearing in this film. <laughs> he hasn't been seen since uh, the Emperor statue was toppled on Coruscant in the uh, the special edition. I'll just go with my previous answer. Go mounted on the wall as a hunting trophy. <laughs> <laughs> Kylo Ren has him mounted on the wall as a hunting trophy. Well, has anybody seen the theory where he's actually a huge um, Sith Sith Lord? I spent far too long reading the whole series. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind I, of... I, I, I committed so much time to reading that theory that in the end I was like, well, that could actually be true. Because <laughs> <laughs> just so that I hadn't wasted my time reading it, I thought at the end of this, I better believe it. <laughs> it makes it makes sense. It's the only way this character makes sense. Please let it be. Uh, maybe he's Snoke. Oh mm. God, <laughs> we've said too much. <laughs> so, I guess on that note, it's probably a good point to wrap up. So, what are final thoughts on, on Star Wars as an entity based on this film, uh, as an is back, and how do people feel about the? annual entries that are going to be coming feel like you'll enjoy them for all time or get sick of them eventually uh, I'm, I, I, I'm glad it's back, I'm glad it's going to be a continuing franchise, I'm looking forward to seeing some of the little side films that they've got, I think the sort of continuation of the trilogy is going to be great but I'm interested to see where they go with the, with the little sort of side films, the origin films I mean I don't normally look forward to origin stories but I think the Han Solo one could be interesting. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing them all. I'm going to be right there at the box office. I, think, I, I really like The Force Awakens. Uh, I, I recognise that there's, you know, elements of it that are, you know, very similar to parts of the original trilogy. They've obviously taken the best bits, tried to kind of reboot while continuing the saga. But overall, I really enjoyed it. 
Um, I'm I'm looking forward to the the side movies as well. I, I really like what I've seen in the trailers so far, and it looks like they're going in the right direction. I at the moment I'm I, you know quite happy to have one a year, although again as as a skeptic I'm quite, I, I'm I think that there might be a oversaturation at some point, but you know at the for now for the next few years anyway I can see myself looking forward to anything any and all Star Wars content. I think I'm more interested in the Star Wars universe than I am actually in the Marvel or DC universes existing, just because of the potential to intertwine the plots a lot more and have it be a lot more meaningful without having to break out into other things. I think things like Rogue One allow you to explore another angle of something you already know, and somehow that seems more interesting. Um, so I'm definitely looking forward to it. If I if I had to choose sort of a kneel before or or rise against in that simple thing for 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 the Force Awakens, I would definitely go kneel before because it's got enough in it that I really enjoyed it despite anything I might challenge. So so far, I would say this is everything I hoped that the films one to three were and then subsequently weren't i think they've really recovered well i really enjoyed it so and i'm really excited for the next one to come out uh, having the whole one a year might be good as like a wee a wee taster for getting back to the main story um but i'm not that fussed about them just because just because then you know things like they do things like the clone wars and sh- like that and so I'm a bit like I guess we'll find out if if it's like a proper movie or a wee bit of a fodder to fill a gap do you know what I mean so we'll see yeah. we'll see what happens um, but I'm looking forward to to see more and I'm definitely intrigued to find out more about the story but definitely enjoying it yeah for me in terms of this film I liked it but didn't love it as much as some people clearly do um, I think it's a good start and it could have been a lot worse, so there's that. Uh, I'm more interested to see more of it, uh, because certainly I think the next film's directed by a really interesting director, Ryan Johnson, who did Looper, which is one of the more interesting sci-fi films of the past few years. Uh, In terms of the side films, I'm really not that interested in Han Solo's origin story, because I'm just not that bothered. But Rogue One intrigues me, enough to want to know how it plays out. I'm just a bit off-put by the fact it's directed by the guy that did Godzilla, and that was not very good. So um, it could go either way for me at this point. I haven't seen a single trailer, so I'm basing that entirely on my opinion of that guy's last film. So maybe Disney will have reined him in and and got him to do something good. Yeah, it's good to have good Star Wars again, and I think it complements Rebels, which is a cartoon that I really like. Yep. And I'm going to sit you down and force you to watch a loop of Ray staring into Luke Skywalker's eyes <laughs> with Ray's theme playing in the background until you, until you learn to love it. <laughs> but that will be like Clockwork Orange style stuff. I wouldn't actually yeah. love it. You, oh, will. you, will. you oh. will. And then on my very first mission, I'll betray you. Will be. You will be. <laughs> and then, yeah, as soon as I go on my very first mission, I will betray you. And that'll be it. And then we'll film it, and it'll start all over again. <laughs> that's <just laughs> so that's it. So 
we've covered The Force Awakens in some detail, as we like to do. Uh, so thank you for everyone and joining me in this first part of the saga that we will no doubt continue over the next few films. Mm. You're welcome. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And I bid everyone good night and good force. There's a new catchphrase. Good Have a good force. Have a good force. Merry force to you all. Happy life day for everyone in a month. <laughs> the Star Wars holiday special. One day we'll talk about that. We will never talk about that. <laughs> Caravan of courage for life. <laughs> yeah. So, so thank you all and good night. Yes, Wait, is that you actually saying bye? I am. Okay, bye! So, that was our discussion on The Force Awakens. We hope you enjoyed it and it made you think, about something at least. Thanks to YouTubers Stratario and NSENS1117 for providing the music. If you liked what you heard, then you can find us on iTunes, YouTube, or any major podcasting app. Please join us in the next Kneel Before Pod, and remember, The Force will be with you always. <laughs> <laughs>